Well, please turn, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 11 to 14 today. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking that you would, Lord, open our hearts, Lord, that you would give to us understanding, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see today, Lord, from your holy word. Keep us, Lord, from being those who are dull of hearing, who in hearing the word do not learn, do not attend to it, Lord, they do not practice the very things that they have received. Father, we know that the very purpose of you granting to us your word and all of the means of grace that you have established in your church is that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there might be a progression in our faith from infancy to childhood to being a young man to becoming a father in the faith. And we pray today, Lord, that you might grant to us Lord, your spirit, and that you might grant to us greater faith and understanding of your word so that all of us might arrive to maturity, Lord, to complete manhood in our faith so that we would no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. So teach us today, Lord, and show us the importance of hearing and receiving your word, of nourishing the inner man, so that he becomes strong and healthy and arrives at maturity. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude uh, chapter 5 this week. And we remember that in this chapter, the apostle has been teaching them concerning the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Right? This is the topic that he's been dealing with for several chapters. And this is the topic that he will continue to instruct them in in chapter 7. Specifically, how it is that Jesus Christ is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, there are similarities between the person and priesthood of Jesus and the person and priesthood of Melchizedek. And this is a topic that he has much to say about and ultimately will return to at the beginning of chapter 7. But before then, he needs to address an issue with the Hebrew Christians that is hindering their progress in the faith. He has much to say, but it has become hard to explain because they are dull of hearing. They are not paying attention to how they hear the word of God. They have a careless approach to God's word. When the word is preached to them, it should increase their faith. It should be increasing their righteousness. It should be causing them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is always the goal of the ministry of the word among us, whether it be the early church or whether it be in our own day, the reason that Jesus Christ has given to his church 
some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, is for the equipping of the saints, so that the saints would mature and reach adulthood in their faith, so that we would no longer be like children who are tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. We need to always be progressing in our Christian life, and this is the very purpose for the ministry of the Word among us, so that we would grow in our faith. However, the Hebrew Christians have become stagnant. Though they're hearing the Word, and though they have a very good teacher in the Apostle, it is hard for him to explain these truths to, to them. And this is not because the doctrines are too difficult and too hard to understand, nor is it because the people are lacking in the ability to understand. Yet they are not rightly grasping the word of righteousness because they have become dull of hearing. This is where he puts the emphasis for their uh, not growing and for their stagnation in their faith. The reason this topic of Jesus as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek is hard to explain is because of their moral weakness, their dullness in hearing that is coming from the influence of the flesh upon their mind, keeping them from a proper understanding of the truths of the gospel. It is the sinful influence of the flesh that is making them dull of hearing. They are hearing the word audibly, but it is not changing them. They're not attending to it. They're not receiving it with meekness, and they are not stable in their faith, but have remained in a state of immaturity. And this is a problem, right? A child that eats yet does not grow. Something is not right. And so a Christian who hears the word of God, who has exposure to the things of God, yet remains unchanged. This is not right, right? Something is amiss, and this is what he is addressing here in this, at the end of chapter 5, and also in chapter 6, before he moves on to the topic at hand, Jesus, a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. So last week we did verse 11. Today we'll do verses 12 to 14. So let's pick up Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. There he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, sufficient time and sufficient exposure to the truths of the gospel has passed for them to have arrived at a level of competency and proficiency in the truths of the gospel. Right? We cannot expect a newborn baby to be able to handle solid food. You cannot set meat and potatoes in front of an infant child. The newborn needs milk, needs food that is suitable to his stage in life. However, a five-year-old child, right, a 10-year-old child, a 50-year-old man, right, at that point in life, one's diet should expand beyond that of an infant. They should be able to handle more solid food, meat and potatoes, and not have to live on a diet only of milk. And so here in the church, right? It is not that these are newborn Christians who have not been instructed in the faith or who are just trying to come to terms with the doctrines of the gospel. Sufficient time has passed for them to reach a level of maturity that enables them to digest the deeper and more mysterious truths of the gospel. 
they should be able to understand and make a proper application of the doctrines concerning Jesus Christ as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Time for maturity is not the problem. Exposure to the word of God is not the problem. What is their problem? Right? Why are they failing in this area? It is their own sin. It is their dullness of hearing that is keeping them as infants in Christ. Right? When God expects fruit from his vineyard, right? When he comes and expects maturity from his people, he not only gives them enough time for the producing of good fruit, but he also gives to them all things necessary so that it is brought about. So if there is any lack in the people of God, it is not due to some deprivation from the Lord, nor is it due from some lack of time as if God is impatient with his people. But rather, it is always found in the sin of the people, in their dullness of hearing and attending to the word of God. Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. Luke 13, verse 6 says, And he began telling them this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and it did not find any. He said to the uh, vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it, and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Here, this man who had this fig tree planted in the vineyard, it's not that he came three weeks after planting it, expecting to find fruit. Three years had passed by, sufficient time for it to mature and for it to produce fruit. And yet, what did he find? There was nothing there. And yet, even though after sufficient time, nothing was there, there was still more time given. There was still more done for that tree so that it might bear good fruit. And this is the way the Lord is in his church. He gives sufficient time and he gives everything necessary in order for the producing of good fruit among his people. So if he comes to the church and he finds there to be no good fruit, where does the fault lie? Where is the problem? Is it in the Lord? Is it he failing in his part to give us time? He failing in his part to give us what is necessary to the producing of good fruit? No, it is always found in the people. It is their fault. It is their sluggishness. It is their own sin in these things. And this is the problem here. Now, in the church, this takes great care and prudence, right? We cannot expect and demand what is unreasonable, right? Just as you cannot expect and demand an infant child to do things that a five-year-old can do, and you can't expect a five-year-old to do things that a 12-year-old can do, and you can't expect a 12-year-old to do things that a 20-year-old can do, right? We have to have discernment prudence, understanding, we have to know and see that in the church, there are going to be people in various stages of their Christian faith. Some as infants, some as children, some as young men, some who are adults in the faith. There must be that prudence in the church. So there cannot be the expectation and the demand of what is unreasonable. We must instruct people with patience, with forbearance, especially those 
who are new in the faith or those who have weak faith. And Christ gives special attention, special care for those that are with young and those that are sick or those who are weak in the faith. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, it says there, speaking of the bondservant of the Lord, the teacher of the word of God, it says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. There, the Lord's bondservant must be patient, must be diligent in teaching, right? Just as the mother, just as the parents are patient with their children. This is necessary in our instructing, in our raising them from a state of infancy into a state of adulthood. We have to understand that, again, at various stages in life, children can only handle those things that are appropriate to their age, to their maturity, to their stage in life, and so it is in the church of Jesus Christ. So that the sheep are able to mature in a proper way. However, at the same uh, time, there comes a point where a person should mature, where there is sufficient time and sufficient exposure to the things of God for them to arrive at a more advanced stage of the Christian life. And in the case of the Hebrew Christians, they have had plenty of time, according to the apostle. And they've had plenty of exposure, according to the apostle. They've had plenty of interaction with the gospel. Enough time has passed that he says, you ought to be teachers by this time, right? This is how much exposure and how much time has been given to them. They ought to be able to teach others the things of God. And yet they themselves are in need of being instructed again. They should have such a mastery of these truths such clarity and conviction and stability on the fundamental doctrines of the gospel that they should be able to rightly instruct others in these truths as well. Now, this mastery includes both a right understanding or a proper comprehension of the truth. It includes a firm, resolved belief in these things. It includes a proper application of these both in faith and in practice. And it includes the ability to accurately communicate these truths to others. This is the stage in which they should be at. As it says in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Concerning Ezra, it says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He studied the law of the Lord so that he rightly understood it. He himself practiced these things. And then he was able to teach them to everyone else, the laws and ordinances of God there in Israel. Study for the purpose of understanding, practicing it, meaning incorporating that truth into his own faith and practice, and then able to teach or to instruct others, to be grounded in the faith, right? Hearing and receiving the word of God, right? These things are necessary for the Christian life. We must be sound in faith. We must hear the word of God for two reasons, right? First, for our own edification. We must be edified. 
We must be nourished in our Christian life, in our faith. And the nourishment that we need for our faith comes from the hearing of the Word of God. And as we are nourished properly, it causes the inner man to grow, to become strong, to arrive at maturity, to adulthood in the faith. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow, he says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That as we are interacting, as we have more exposure to the Word of God, more teaching of the Word of God, more reading, memorizing, meditating of the Word of God, the result is it causes us to grow. We have a greater understanding of the grace and of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the goal of our salvation, that we would mature and that we would arrive to adulthood in our faith, to whatever capacity God has granted to us. Not all men are as tall as other men. Not all men are as strong as other men, right? Some men at full maturity are five foot 10 inches. Other men at full maturity are six foot two inches. Still other men at full maturity are six foot five inches, Right, whatever God assigns to the man, this is where he should arrive to in his adulthood. And so it is in the faith as well. God does not give to each man the same measure of faith. Some will be stronger than others according to the will of God. But whatever God has assigned to us, our goal should be what? To arrive to adulthood, right? To arrive at maturity according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. For us to reach that level of adulthood in the faith. And this happens by the hearing of the word of God. By attending to the word of God. Just as in the physical world, we arrive to maturity in our physical bodies by eating, right? We have to eat. We have to be nourished over and over and over again. And as we are nourished, we grow until we reach that state of adulthood. And here, just as in this world, our maturity, our growth would be stunted or thwarted if we are malnourished, right? If we don't have food and we're not digesting the food properly, then we're not going to grow the way that we should. And so it is in the spiritual as well. If we are not being fed, and if we are being fed, but we're not digesting that food properly, then it's going to stunt and thwart our spiritual growth. That's what's happening with the Hebrew Christians. Now here, it's not a lack of being fed. They are being nourished rightly. The, the banquet is set before them, but they're not taking it in. They're not eating it, they're not digesting it, so that it actually gives sustenance to their souls so that they grow and mature in their Christian faith. So the first goal of our hearing of the Word of God is our own edification, so that we would be built up in our faith. But secondly here, he says that they ought to be teachers. And by teachers, that then necessitates that their ability to be helpful and beneficial to other people's people as well. We should desire to be able to teach these doctrines so that we can be useful to others. When we hear the word of God, it is not exclusively for our own personal benefit, but that we might be of help to others in their faith. Isn't this Ezra's approach? It was for his own edification when he was studying the law of the Lord. Because what is the first thing that he did when he studied it? 
He practiced it, right? He took it and he applied it to his own life, to his own faith and his own practice. But it did not stop there. He also went and taught others so that they too would have a proper understanding that they also might incorporate the word of God into their faith and into their practice as well. Each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Am I looking out for your interest when I'm failing to grow properly in regards to my faith? Am I going to be beneficial to you if I don't have stability in the word of God? If I don't have stability in the fundamental doctrines of the gospel, then how am I going to help you when your faith is shaken, when you are going through hard times or going through some difficulty? No, I'm not going to have any of that. So if I don't have that, I'm failing to love my neighbor as myself because my neighbor may be in need of a timely word from God. He may be in need of some encouragement in the faith, yet if I myself have not arrived to maturity in these things, then how am I going to be able to help you rise to maturity in these things as well? Just as in the scripture, we are commanded to work with our own hands in order so that we might provide for our own needs. But what is the other goal of us working with our own hands? So that we might have something to share with those who are in need. A lazy man who refuses to work fails in both capacities. He fails to love himself because he's not providing for his own needs, and he fails to love his neighbor because he has nothing by which he might share with those who are in need. And so it is with those who are lazy in the hearing of the word of God, who are slothful hearers, dull of hearing of God's word. They fail in both regards. They fail both in their own edification and growth in the Christian faith. So they're failing to love themselves properly, right? And what person doesn't love himself properly? Of course, we love ourselves in this way. We should love our own souls by hearing the word of God, by believing it, by receiving it into our heart. So they fail to love themselves and they fail to love their neighbor for they're not able to accurately instruct him in the way of righteousness. If I'm not settled on the fundamental principles of the Christian religion, then how am I going to help settle you? If I have no stability, how will I give you stability in these things? Each member of the body is to be useful to the whole. The members of our body, they all serve a purpose, and they all work for the building up of the whole. But if there is a member that provides no benefit, no use or value to the body, then what is its purpose, right? Why is it here, right? What good is it doing if it is not building up and helping the entire body? 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And this applies to all Christians. Now, not all are called to be public teachers of the word. Yet all believers are called to teach in some capacity. We all have family. We all have friends. We all have loved ones. We all have co-workers. We all have neighbors. 
And this is why we must grow. So though not all may be public teachers, yet all have the need to teach in some capacity or another. And here, especially with the Hebrew Christians, because in the early days of the church, as the gospel is going out from Jerusalem, and then into Judea, and into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth, where are the first pastors coming from? Where are those who are able to instruct the Gentiles who have no background, no knowledge of the word of God? But the Hebrew Christians, they've been instructed in these things from when? From their childhood, from their infancy. They are familiar and acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. So where are the early pastors coming from? They're coming from the Hebrew churches. And yet here, they ought to be teachers. Some of them ought to even be able to go and pastor in these churches to these Gentiles who are in great need of someone who has knowledge and proficiency in the scriptures to teach and instruct them in the things of God. And yet they're not able to do that. They can't send them out in this way because they themselves are still infants in the faith. And they're not going to be able to help anyone. So sufficient time, sufficient instruction to be settled on the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. So much so that they should be able to teach others. Yet notice what he says. Yet you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Now here, he's not saying that we arrive at a point in our Christian life where we never need to hear the gospel anymore where we never need to hear these elementary principles of the oracles of God. Even in the most mature Christian, those who have been Christians the longest, those who have the greatest knowledge of the word of God, who are practicing these things, who are very godly people, there is the continual need, lifelong teaching of the word of God and even of the elementary principles of the word of God. So he's not saying that at some point, we never need to be taught again. Nor is he saying at some point, we never need to be taught the elementary principles again. The elementary principles are the most important truths in the Bible. And these are the things that we need to hear over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, what was the sum of what he taught when he was going about preaching and teaching the word of God? Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't want to know anything but Jesus Christ and him Crucified. So for all of our lives, we need to be taught concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Here, the problem is not being taught these things. The problem lies in the fact that they are not settled on these things. They don't have stability on these things, right? He's having to teach them these things again, not to build their faith to an even greater measure, Right? Not because it's going to give them even more stability, but whatever they had before, they're losing these things. They used to be stable and settled, but now they're going backwards. So he's having to teach them again as if they are newborn babes in Christ. They have no clarity and conviction regarding the very basics of the Christian faith. In one of these elementary principles of the oracles of God, is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. That all of the Old Testament scriptures are testifying about who? It's all about Jesus Christ. This is central to our interpretation of the entirety of the Bible. 
right? The primary central topic of the Bible is Jesus Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament prophets predicted His person and His work for the forgiveness of sins. The New Testament apostles are announcing His person and His work for the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, verses 17 to 26 This is when the apostles are preaching the gospel to the Jews after the day of Pentecost. This is a central thrust that they're making over and over again. That what has happened in the person of Jesus of Nazareth was predicted by the Old Testament prophets, and it is a fulfillment of all that God promised to the fathers. Acts 3.17 says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of his prophets, this his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. There, foundational to our faith is the understanding that all the scriptures are in one way or another testifying of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. One of the first things that the Jews had to be convinced of was that the Old Testament prophets testified of Jesus Christ, his person, his work, his offices, including the office of high priest, his death, his sacrifice, that the entirety of the old covenant form of worship, all of it had reference to Jesus Christ, that these are things that are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It says in Colossians 2.17, the substance of the old covenant worship belongs to who? It belongs to Christ. This is elementary. This is fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith, a elementary principle of the oracles of God. And according to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where it says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They had the oracles of God. And in these oracles from the Old Testament were many shadows. And those shadows have their substance in one person. And who is that one person? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do these shadows mean? 
What is their purpose? How are we supposed to use them? What is their end? Right? Properly understanding these things, what's fundamental to a right interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures and the worship of God instituted by Moses under the Old Covenant. And yet this is where they are failing. They are failing in these areas. They have not learned, as they should, that Jesus is the substance of the shadows, so he has to teach them these elementary principles again. They're making very little progress in these things, and they have an inclination to return back to Judaism. That's the problem. They're going backwards, right? Jesus is the substance, but they're wanting to go back to the shadows. But why would you go to the shadow when the substance is here? This is a regression in their faith in the things that they are doing. Actually, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, he describes more concerning these elementary teachings. It says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So here, their foundation is not secure and stable. Just like a child in school, he must first learn his ABCs and his 1-2-3s before he can move on to more advanced learning, to more advanced forms of reading and writing and arithmetic, or in musical instruments. You have to learn the basic notes, right, the basic keys, before you can move on to greater forms of music, right? A child must first learn Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star before it can move on and learn something greater and arrive at Mozart or Beethoven or some great composition in the musical arts. The foundation must be laid, and then you move on to those things. But if they can't grasp the foundation, can you ever move on to something greater, you can't ever get there. It's just going to be a big, fat mess. And so it is in the Christian faith. There are foundational principles, the issues of first importance. And when that foundation is well laid, then that foundation can be built upon. When the first principles are learned and incorporated into faith and practice, then we can move on to greater degrees of knowledge and understanding. There was a time where they had some competency in these things, but now they're losing their stability. Just like the child one day knows his ABCs, but then the next day he messes them up again. So what must you continue to do? You have to keep teaching them, keep teaching them, until they are rock solid on those things, and then you can move on to greater instruction. Where the first principles are lacking, where they are not sufficiently learned, then we cannot move on to greater teaching. And it is the duty of the minister of the word of God to teach the whole counsel of God. Right? This is what we should want. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20. He did not hold back from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Yet here, in this case, the Apostle cannot do this because they're dull of hearing. And because they're not settled in these elementary principles. And so he is in a difficult position. He wants to move on to greater instruction, but he cannot do it because they're not able to digest these things, and this is owing to their own dullness of hearing. And this should be a sobering warning for us. One can be taught, one can learn the gospel, yet through negligence, 
through worldly-mindedness, through carelessness and forgetfulness, we can lose what we have gained so that we actually are going backwards in our faith. Instead of progressing in our faith, they can regress into a state of confusion, of darkness, and in ignorance, both in regards to knowledge and in regards to holiness. And as one continues in this path, he drifts further and further and further away from what he used to be. And that is why here he says, you have come to need milk and not solid food. Here at in the end of verse 12 and through the rest of the chapter, he's going to illustrate their spiritual condition by using this comparison between the physical world, right, our physical body and our appetites, the ability of an infant with the ability of a, an adult. You need milk, he says, not solid food, which he first applies to their present condition. Verse 13. Verse 13, what does it mean for someone to need only milk? For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Here, they need milk, not solid food, because they are like infants in their faith. Right? When we are first converted by the Lord, we are like infants, we are like newborn babies in the faith, and we need to be grounded in the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Spiritually speaking, we need milk. Those plain, simple, clear teachings of the Bible that are suitable for infants in the faith. Right? An infant does not have the ability to eat and digest solid food. So he must be fed with what is suitable to his condition. Milk is the diet of the infant because milk is easy for them to eat and it is easy for them to digest. They don't have the ability to use the instruments of the body to digest greater things. But as the infant grows and matures, as he is nourished by the milk, he arrives at a state where he can begin to take in solid food and digest those things for his own benefit. And this is the natural progression from infancy to childhood, to adulthood, or to manhood. And if the child is eating yet not growing, then there is something that is gravely wrong. And so it is in the faith. In regards to spiritual growth and maturity, we begin as infants, but as we digest more and more of God's word, we are able to understand the higher mysteries of the oracles of God. We gain a fuller, more complete understanding of our salvation as we grow and mature in the faith. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, describe these various stages of maturity that will be found in the church. 1 John 2, verse 12, says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. There, he calls them children, there are young men, there are fathers. They're in the church. This referring to the different stages of maturity. And the church will always be 
comprised of these various levels. There will always be a mixture of spiritual children, of those who are spiritually young men, and those who are spiritual fathers. And the goal is that the children would become young men, and that ultimately the young men would become fathers. And that as the children go from children to young men, then they also would become fathers. The goal is that everyone would be what? Would be a father, would be mature, would be an adult in his faith. But when a father reverts back to a state as a young man, or when the young man reverts back to a state of infancy in the faith, then this is not a good thing. And that is the problem with the Hebrew Christians. They're not growing and maturing as they should, but are remaining in this state of infancy, needing only milk and not able to digest the solid food. Now, notice that. He says the infant feeds only on milk, right? Only on the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Now, he's not saying that the young men and the fathers do not need milk because milk is good for everyone, right? We all like to have a nice cold glass of milk, right, before you go to bed. Everyone likes that. But young men and fathers do not live on a diet of only milk. They might have milk, but they also have solid food that is suitable to their maturity, whereas the infants can only partake of milk. That's the problem. They can only take milk. They can only take these elementary principles of the oracles of God because they have not arrived to a state where they can digest the solid food. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 4. The Apostle Paul is using this same metaphor to describe the Corinthians. First Corinthians 3 verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So here specifically, the infancy and them not being spiritual men is in regards to the flesh. It is the flesh and the influence of the flesh that is keeping them from arriving to this state of adulthood. And they're having these kinds of carnal, fleshly arguments, dissensions, disagreements, conflict among themselves, fighting over and bickering over this and that. And they ought to know better than to do these things. And now he's having to address them because they're behaving like little children instead of acting like those who are mature and grown in the faith, right? It is the flesh that is influencing them and keeping them in this state. They're hearing the word of God, but in hearing they do not hear because they are dull of hearing. They're not digesting the word of God so that they grow in their faith. Now here, specifically, they need only milk, right? Only milk. And this state of infancy is a failure, he says, to be accustomed to the word of righteousness, right? That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. They are not accustomed to to the word of righteousness. This is what it means for them to be infants and what it means for them to need only milk. 
And here the reference is that they're unskilled. They're unskilled in the word of God for the maintaining and building up of the faith against the craftiness of Satan. They're being tempted by Satan to forsake Christ and return back to Judaism. And they do not know how to use the word of righteousness to combat this lie from the devil because they have no stability. They're not settled on these things and they're wavering, limping between these two opinions. Should we follow Christ or should we go back to our old ways? They're doubting and wavering on these points because though they have some knowledge of the gospel, they are not proficient enough in it. They're not skilled in this knowledge so as to be able to fight against the schemes of the devil. They're not completely ignorant of these things. Right? The weapons of war have been given to them, but they're not accustomed to them. They don't know how to use them. They're not skilled in these things. They don't know how to properly wield the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith to the sustaining of their own faith. And it's not enough that one possesses the weapons of war, but one must have some level of proficiency in how those things are to be used. There must be some level of skill in order to use the weapon to its proper end. A soldier who has a sword, but doesn't know how to use his sword, is going to be a danger not only to himself, but to other people as well. He's going to be cutting himself and hitting his fellow soldiers. Or like an apprentice, right? The apprentice in the blacksmith shop, he has some knowledge of the tools of the trade, but he has not acquired the skills necessary to use those tools to forge instruments that are useful to men. That is why he is an apprentice. It is to learn so that he acquires the skills so that he can master the tools of his trade, use them for their proper end to build things that are useful to others. And so it is with the word of righteousness. We must be skilled in it. We must be accustomed to the word of righteousness. We must know how to use the word of righteousness, how to rightly apply the word of God to the various temptations, the circumstances, right? The sufferings, the issues that we will face throughout our life. Every day we're faced with all of these decisions, all of these choices concerning what we're going to believe, what we're going to think, what we're going to do, what we're going to say. And one who is skilled in the word of righteousness knows how to take the word of God, how to incorporate it into his faith and into his practice so that the word of God begins to govern the way that he is living, how he is thinking, how he is speaking, how he relates to his neighbor, to his wife, to his children, to his co-workers, so that his behavior is being formed according to the word of God. He has this skill of taking the word of God, hearing the word of God, and incorporating it into his life so that it dictates the way that he lives. But this takes maturity for someone to arrive at this point. With children, you have to hold their hand. You have to hold their hand and lead them in the right way and show them what it is that they are supposed to do in every situation. But as the children grow, we expect them to be able to figure these things out so that they're doing what is right in these various situations. Right? God's word is given to us so that we might know the will of God, so that we are equipped for every good work. Right? As it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the purpose of the word of God. It is to equip us, to train us, right? To give us what is needful, right? For every aspect of our faith so that we can know and do the will of God and live a life that is pleasing to him. But it takes skill. We must be accustomed to the word of righteousness. We must have this skill of applying the word of God to whatever we face in this life. God's word equips us for every good work. Everything we need to know how to deal with whatever we face in life is found in the word of God so that we can live a life of righteousness and obedience to God. But that requires knowledge. We have to understand it and we have to be settled on it because if we're not settled on it, then we're going to have doubts and we're going to waver and wonder, am I doing what's right or am I doing what is wrong? And that is their problem here. Is it God's will for us to go back to Judaism? Or is it God's will for us to continue on this path in the Christian faith? Well, they ought to know these things by now. They ought to have enough skill in the word of righteousness to be settled on these matters and to know that Jesus Christ is the substance of the Old Testament shadows. Being skilled in the word of righteousness means that we are able to bring God's word to bear on whatever situation we face. So that we know God's will and we're able to walk in righteousness and faithfulness to him. That is how we arrive at maturity. This is the mature Christian. The mature adult is one who knows how to apply and who does rightly apply God's word to the various situations in life so that he knows how to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And this is more than a matter of simply having knowledge of the Bible in our head some acquaintance with what is in the Bible. This is practical, experiential knowledge and skillfulness in the Scriptures. Those who are mature in faith, though they are always growing and they're always learning and they're always in need of being taught more and more and more again and even always in need of having milk and knowing the elementary principles of the oracles of God, they're always becoming more skilled in the word of righteousness Yet they have the ability to interact with God's word and bring it to bear upon situations and temptations they face in life. One who is accustomed to the word of righteousness. And if some false teacher is trying to convince them to forsake Christ and return to old covenant rituals, then one who is skilled in the word of God will know that this is not right. And he'll say, no, I'm not going to listen to this guy. I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. And he's not going to have doubts and be wavering and lose his stability in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But an infant in the faith who is tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine, when this person says this to him, it causes him to have doubts. It causes him to waver. He doesn't know what to do about these things. It causes his faith to be very easily shaken. And that's what's happening with the Hebrew Christians. They should have the necessary skills in the word of righteousness, not only for their own benefit, but also to teach others, right, these things as well. Yet they lack these skills, and they're not able to refute the temptations that they are facing. And this is not because of a lack of exposure, and it's not because of a lack of time. What is the fault? Where is it coming from? Dull of hearing. They are hearing the word, but they're not applying, they're not incorporating it, they're not receiving it with meekness. Then verse 14. 
the other side. Solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, this is what is true of the adult or of those who are mature. This is what he wants for them and what should be desired by us as well. Right? The infants were those who are dull of hearing, and thus they need milk because they're not accustomed with the word of righteousness. In contrast, the mature are not those who are dull of hearing, so they're the opposite of what is dull of hearing. They have ears to hear and eyes to see. They're receiving the word of God with meekness into their heart. And thus, they are able to take in solid food because they have their practice. They have by practice their senses trained to discern good and evil. They are able to make righteous judgments and application of spiritual truths through careful, thoughtful, diligent study, meditation, prayer, the hearing of the word of God. They have grown in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They have digested the word of God so that it is providing nourishment for their souls. They are those who are described in James 1.21, where it says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. It's not enough that we hear the word. We must receive the word. It must be implanted into our heart for the saving of our souls, right? Not only the initial saving of our soul, but also the continual saving of our souls. Not that we're getting saved over and over again, but our salvation is progressing. Our, we are being sanctified over and over and over again as we hear the word, as we receive the word, as it is implanted deep within our hearts. The word must be received into our heart, into our souls, so that that word nourishes the inner man and causes the inner man to grow, to mature. And how foolish would it be for us to have a great feast prepared for us and yet fail to take that food into our mouth, fail to digest that food for the nourishment of our bodies. And so it is in the Christian world. There are many people who make great pains to come and to hear the word of God. They come to the banquet table, yet they fail to take the word into their soul, to digest it in their soul, so that it nourishes and strengthens their faith. And our aim, our goal, each and every week, or any time we interact with the word of God or with the things of God, should be to take it into our heart, right? To take it into our soul so that it nourishes the inner man for the purpose of edification, growth in the Christian life, maturity in our faith, for our own benefit and also for the benefit of others because we'll be able to teach them as well. The ability to understand and rightly apply the solid food from the word of God, to have our senses trained to discern good from evil. That is what we need to have discernment of good and evil so that when we hear good doctrine in our soul and in our spirit we are able to affirm we agree we say ah yes amen to those things but when we hear bad doctrine evil doctrine we're able to say that doesn't sound right right something is not right with this whatever this man is saying when we hear of good practices right that which is righteous and obedient to God we're able to affirm and say this is the way that I need to walk 
But then when someone comes along and is tempting us to commit sin, we're able to discern that and say that, no, I know that this is not consistent with the word of God, so I'm not going to listen to this man. I'm going to reject this. I'm not going to incorporate it into my life. And this is a skill that must be developed throughout our life and one that we're always going to be growing in, the ability to discern between good and evil. But as we practice that, our senses are trained more and more and more and more. Right, Just as the athlete practices and practices and practices, and as he practices more, it becomes like second nature to him. Right, He becomes so accustomed to these things that it's almost as if he can do it with his eyes closed. This is the way we need to be in our Christian life. But if that athlete practices in this way and yet quits practicing, what eventually will happen? All of those things that he has gained, he will begin to lose. He'll begin to slip. Or the musician who is a, uh, a grand uh, pianist, and yet he quits practicing. He will not be able to play with the same proficiency that he used to have. He must continue to practice over and over and over again so that his senses are rightly accustomed to do the thing that he wants to do. And so it is in the Christian life. We must constantly practice the word of righteousness over and over and over again. And as we do, we will mature, we will grow, we will have a greater ability to discern between good and evil, we will advance in our Christian life, and we will arrive to a state of maturity. So let us then all aspire to arrive to that state of adulthood. And no matter how advanced we are in the Christian life, has anyone arrived to perfection? No. So we all have the need to grow more. right? We should never be complacent, but always desire to grow more and more and more in our Christian life. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, come to you today, Lord, knowing that our salvation, Lord, and our growth in that salvation, all of it must come from you. We know that we did not save ourselves, but rather you saved us. You are the one who delivered us from the domain of darkness and who have brought us into the kingdom of your Son, the kingdom of light. So, Lord, we know that our salvation at its very beginning was your work. But, Lord, we know as well that the progression of our salvation is dependent upon you. Lord, that you must be the one working in us, Lord, in us and through us. But, Lord, we know as well that in our sanctification, you do not work apart from us. Lord, you are working... Lord, within us. And we have our responsibilities. And we know here that it is our responsibility to attend to the Word of God, to be reading, to be studying, to be meditating, or to be hearing your Word, not so that we might simply gain some factual knowledge of the truths of the Bible, but that we might gain practical and experiential knowledge of these things. Lord, that your word would be brought into our hearts. Lord, that it would be incorporated into our faith and into our practice. Lord, that our inner man and our faith would be nourished by your word. And this is what we ask, Lord, for you to do for us. Lord, even today, as we have heard your word, we pray, Lord, that wherever there are areas of sin, Lord, that you would correct those things. You would reprove us, Lord, and rebuke us in our sin and, Lord, cause us to put it away. And Lord, wherever your word touches, 
those areas in our life that need to be strengthened, we pray that it would strengthen us. Lord, we pray that it would produce new virtues. Lord, that it would produce those things that are good uh, and that good fruit that is so pleasing in your sight. So, Father, we ask that you would bring us all to a state of maturity in our faith, that we would arrive to adulthood, that we would not be like children tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine, but rather that we would be skilled in the word of righteousness. Lord, we ask that we would have this ability to discern between good and evil, to arrive at such a state of maturity in our faith that we're able to make proper judgments and discernments, Lord, concerning teachers and concerning, Lord, obedience and the way that we live, whatever men are telling us to practice. Lord, for we know that we have many voices every day telling us how we should think, Lord, telling us how we should speak, what we should believe, Lord, how it is that we ought to live. But we know that there is only one source, Lord, one source of wisdom, and that is your word. Lord, you are the only one who can teach us so that what we believe and what we do is pleasing in your sight. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to do so and that we might gain a greater and greater proficiency in your word, that we would be skilled in the word of righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would do this not only for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of others, that we might be able to teach our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers, Lord, even strangers, that we would arrive at a level where we're able to instruct others and be of value, Lord, not only to our own faith, but also to the faith of others. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in all of these things, Lord, knowing that it does bring you great glory and honor for us to mature in our faith. And so for your own glory, For your own sake, Lord, we pray that you would advance us, Lord, and that you would cause us to walk in your ways. So, Lord, give us all that we need. We know what we have been commanded. Lord, we know what it is that is our duty. But we pray that you give us the strength, Lord, that we so desperately need so that we might do all those things, Lord, that you require of us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.